Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Signs. This series looks at the seven signs found in the Gospel of John, symbolic events that call us to embrace Jesus as the Lord who has come to redeem his people. We're uh, going to be looking in John chapter 6 today. I'm going to actually be covering pretty much the whole chapter, and I'll explain why in a moment, but we're just going to read the first 15 verses, the actual part that is the sign. Um, so John chapter 6, we're going to look at the first 15 verses. It's there in your booklet. It'll be up on the screens. I encourage you to bring your Bible, whether paper or on your device, and to follow along. So hear now the words of our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite to eat. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had, had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after they saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Sometimes when you're reading novels, a series of novels, or watching a, a group of movies, Different storylines that have been developed will merge together in a single movie. One of the more uh, popular series of movies that are out right now are the Avengers and all of the, the comic book superheroes. And they all started with all these separate movies. And then over time, they started bringing the characters and, and the movie people together uh, to do that. And if you really enjoy those series, you kind of enjoy when suddenly they're merged together. A uh, similar thing can happen in literature. Uh, an author that I've really come to like a lot of his novels and short stories in recent years is a man named Wendell Berry. And Wendell Berry has created a fictional community down in Kentucky on a river known as Port Royal. And he covers through a series of about 20 novels uh, and then a whole bunch of short stories this region from shortly after the Civil War all the way up to about 1980. And it's kind of fun because you can read a novel that is centered around uh, a person 
or a family and then in another novel they're woven in just as kind of one of the side characters and over time you see all these characters come together as he weaves their stories back and forth well i bring this up because john's doing something similar scholars have noted for a long long time that there's two main themes or things that john is doing topically throughout his gospel one which we've been looking at is there are seven signs the other one is john has seven i am statements of jesus and these are two major themes two kind of storylines he's doing well in john chapter six where we are dealing with the fifth sign we deal also with the first of the seven i am statements so they get brought together suddenly you see this thing and what he's actually doing here is what the the i am statement is the first time we've seen this well it's going to kind of peel off and become its own thing and they'll come back together actually uh when we look on easter sunday at the sign of lazarus being raised and jesus saying i am the resurrection of the life so two of them two times they come together and this is the first of those two times so we're going to read about the sign but in the i am statement jesus is going to interpret the sign for us and tell us what it points to so we're going to look to see what they tell us about jesus and about us now the sign itself is pretty obvious jesus is going to be feeding the multitude and as you notice when john sets this story up in the first four verses he tells us a few things jesus is first off back in galilee you remember last week we were in john 5 and jesus was in jerusalem where he healed the the man who had been lame for 35 years or 38 years and now jesus we're told is suddenly back in galilee we don't know how much later it is exactly what's going on but there's a crowd of people following him because jesus has been doing signs of healing the sick probably including the one we looked at last week but also it appears there were many others that jesus had done and we remember back up in galilee he had actually healed the royal officials son so we know jesus has been doing this and a large crowd is starting to follow jesus and then john tells us interestingly that the passover was near you remember in john 5 he said jesus had gone to jerusalem for some festival he didn't say what it was because the festival wasn't important what was important was what we found out in the middle of the story which was it was on the sabbath here john does the opposite he says it's important you know this was near the passover and we're going to see why that comes back into the story and is very very important so jesus is with this great crowd of people and in the midst of that he tests the disciples and it's kind of funny he looks to philip and you might wonder why he picks philip out but we learn early in the gospel this is the area where philip is from this is near philip's hometown so jesus looks and there's we find out a, a, it's a large crowd we're going to find out how large in just a moment and he says uh so philip where where do you think we could buy some bread to feed all these people and philip kind of looks at him and looks at the crowd and does a quick calculation and he says uh jesus it would take and it's literally about eight months worth of wages if we collected money from all the workers that it would take eight months of wages to try and feed a crowd like this what what are you talking about where are we going to go and buy bread like that and uh, it's interesting because jesus is actually testing him here we're told john says jesus already knew what he was going to do but he's kind of testing the disciples he's been doing all these signs this is now the fifth sign 
Jesus is one who's been able to take water when there was no wine and turn it into wine. He's been able to heal people from a distance. He's been able to heal someone who was down for 38 years. Jesus has clearly been able to fulfill all the signs of Messiah and it's Passover again. We're going to come back to how that fits in the original Passover story. And so Jesus throws out a test to say, how much are you guys paying attention? How much are you able to figure out? Well, Philip's answer tells us the answer is not very much. Philip immediately just looks and says, yeah, we, we don't have that kind of money, Jesus. And probably is thinking, and I don't know where we would buy possibly that much bread. We're out here in the middle of nowhere. And then Andrew walks up and says, look, we got this, there's this little poor kid, and we know he's poor because barley bread was what the poor people ate. It wasn't even good bread, okay? The good bread was made of wheat. This is barley. So John's kind of giving us even a little bit more. He says, look, he's got, he's got five little barley loaves and two little fish that he's got with him, but uh, yeah, Jesus, that, that, that's not nearly enough. That's, that's not even going to feed us, much less all of these people. And so notice again here, Jesus is kind of prompting because John's told us it's the Passover. But if you go back to the original Passover story in the book of Exodus, right after the Passover, where do we find Israel? In the wilderness, a huge crowd of people, and what's one of the first questions they ask? What are we going to eat? How are we going to get food? And what does God do? He provides bread. So you see what Jesus is doing? He's saying, okay, it's the Passover. You've seen me doing things greater than Moses all along. Moses ran into a situation like this, and he took care of it. Do, do you see what God's going to do? And the answer is no. They're thick as a brick. They don't understand what's going on. And so John then tells us, Jesus looks at him, and you've got to hear this probably, Jesus is probably shaking his head, and he says, tell the people to sit down. So they sit down, and John gives us all kinds of interesting, there's a lot of grass in the place, and then he tells us how big the miracle is required so that we don't get too much on Philip and Andrew. There's 5,000, and John's clear it's 5,000 men. This is not 5,000 people. It's 5,000, the Greek word is males. There's 5,000 males. So probably there's around 20,000 people there is what they estimate. So that's why Philip is like, uh, yeah, I, how would we feed 20,000 people? And so Jesus takes the loaves, and notice what it says, he gives thanks. The Greek word there is eucharisto, from which we get eucharist, the table. He gives thanks, and he he starts to break the bread out and he hands it to the disciples and they give the food out. And notice, just like you remember when we saw the water turn to wine, all we're told is Jesus tells them, draw the water, fill them up to the brim and then take out a ladle full and go give it to the master of the, of the feast. And it's very understated because suddenly water is wine. Well, here, suddenly, five barley loaves that Jesus just breaks apart, they keep handing it out and they keep handing it out, and they keep handing it out, and eventually 20,000 people eat, and they eat all that they want. And in fact, John goes on and tells us that Jesus says, hey, don't waste any food. Make sure you gather it. And there's 12 large basketfuls that are left over that 
people ate everything they wanted and there's still some left over they couldn't even eat everything that came out of this now this is the sign and i want you again notice the scripture's not interested it doesn't tell us exactly how that happened it doesn't go into some you know a scientist want to know well, well exactly how do you multiply fish and loaves the scripture says who gives a rip that's not what's important what's important is who did it and who did it is jesus he multiplies it and everybody eats and they have more than enough food now notice here even the crowd gets what's going on because there's an immediate response but we're going to see john's i want you to notice john's irony you should notice as we've gone along when the crowd responds to the miracles and they seem to get it does jesus ever think they've really understood it so we should be prepared because we're now on the fifth sign so we read in verses 14 and 15 the people saw the sign jesus performed they start to say surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world now what they're doing here is they're looking back and they're able to realize okay wait a minute when moses was in the wilderness and the people were hungry he said god was going to provide manna and god did and the whole multitude was fed but moses told us there was another prophet going to come and that prophet was going to be like moses so if moses could multiply and feed then we expect this prophet and they in fact all expected him so they said this is the prophet this is coming out of deuteronomy 18 it's actually verses 15 to 18 i'll just put up verse 18 where god had said i'm going to raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow israelites and i will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything i command him so the people had been expecting they said okay so if he's going to be like moses that means he's going to speak and teach us but it also means you know he's going to do miracles like moses had done well we had already seen the first one moses had turned water into blood jesus turned water into wine moses also said god was going to provide manna bread for the people to eat and now jesus takes five small barley loaves and provides for a multitude to eat so the people had expected this they believed that when that prophet came he was going to do what moses had done and he was going to do it so the crowd said hey this is what moses talked about he is the prophet and this is not only related to moses we had seen it that later on in the history of israel elisha had done a very similar thing to show that the prophets they were all pointers to the great prophet but elisha had done it in second kings chapter four we read that a man had come from baal shalisha bringing the man of god 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain along with some heads of new grain and elisha said give it to the people to eat and they said how can i set this before a hundred men 20 loaves is not enough for a hundred men now notice that's a lot more sufficient than five loaves for 20,000 people but elisha answered give it to the people to eat for this is what the lord says they will eat and have some left over and he said it before them they ate and had some left over according to the word of the lord so just as moses had done it and said another prophet's going to come elisha was a foreshadowing and had done the same kind of a thing and now the people look and they say okay we're in the wilderness just like moses and we're like where elisha was it's barley loaves just like elisha had but here wow this was twenty thousand people that were fed it's all far greater 
And then notice in verse 15, what the people say is, they intend to come and make him king by force. Now, we might think, okay, well, this is great. They're saying this is the prophet. This is the one God sent. We want him to rule over us. But notice Jesus' reaction. Does Jesus agree with what they're doing? He doesn't. And we ought to be used to John's use of irony here. Once again, they seem to be getting it, but Jesus says you're not really getting it. In Jerusalem, when he cleansed the temple, the people said they believed in his name, they had faith in his name, but Jesus didn't entrust, he didn't have faith back towards them. When the people in Galilee said, hey, we welcome you, we've seen the signs you're doing, Jesus said, yeah, no, you, you people are only trusting in signs and wonders. You don't really get it. And here, the exact same thing is going on. Jesus doesn't recognize what they're doing. He doesn't like it. So when they're going to come and make him king, Jesus slips away and he hides. He goes off and he's off by himself because the people seem to have an enthusiastic reaction to Jesus, but he's sensing something is wrong. And we're going to find out what the something is wrong in the next phase of the story but so notice here this is the sign It's very simple he takes the bread he takes the fishes he gives thanks he breaks them they are distributed and an entire multitude is fed but the reality and this is why jesus didn't think they got it the reality is it's pointing that jesus is the lord who feeds his people the question is how does he feed his people what does he feed his people so in the next part of the story, there's another famous passage where Jesus sends the disciples out on the boat. They're trying to get across the lake. And terrible storm comes up. Jesus walks on the water. He gets across to the other side. But the next day, the crowd is all running around looking for Jesus. And they can't find him. And then some boats come from the other side, and they all get on them, and they go across the lake. And they get there. And it's kind of funny. This is before we even get to... Uh, uh, the next verses i'm going to quote but they get there and they say well geez lord when did you get here now the appropriate question was how did you get here because we know you didn't go in any boat that got across but they're not they're always asking the wrong question they're always looking at the wrong thing and jesus answers them and says very truly i tell you now that's that's literally in in greek amen amen whenever jesus does that wake up and pay attention it's really important and jesus says here's what i'm going to tell you i know the truth you are looking for me not because you saw the sign i performed but because you ate the loaves and had your fill you're here because i fed you yesterday and you'd like to get fed again today and then in verse 27 he says do not work for food that spoils but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So once again, Jesus is saying, you saw the sign, but you missed what it was pointing to. You, you, you can't miss physically seeing what I did, but your heart is yet clouded. You don't understand why I did it. You're following me not because you understand the reality of who I am, but because you were hungry yesterday and I fed all of you. And now you would like me to feed you again. And it's really funny. We don't have the time to go through the whole thing. But if you watch and they go back and forth, the very next question there is like, well, yeah, but, uh, you know, have you got a sign you could give us? I don't know. Moses gave the people manna. 
Jesus, how about that? They, they keep going back to this point. And Jesus keeps trying to tell them, you don't get it. And so thereafter, Jesus says, temporal food that spoils. But Jesus says, I'm here to actually give you eternal food that gives eternal life. Now, don't miss what Jesus is saying here in verses 26 and 27. Physical hunger is good and it's necessary. How many of you get hungry? How many of you require something that was outside of you to sustain you? Every human being. Did it, was that true of Adam and Eve even in the garden? Every human being, we should pay attention to this. You are made a needy being. So am I. You, in a perfect world with no sin, were not created to live without taking something outside yourself and consuming it to have life. So the problem's not physical hunger. It's good and necessary. But it's insufficient if it doesn't lead to a deeper spiritual hunger. God always made us to need to take something outside of ourselves, into ourselves, to sustain ourselves, but it was always meant to point to the deeper reality that that's the way we live. We never live out of ourselves. We always live out of someone or something else. And the people are not getting that. Now what's ironic is they had recognized that what Jesus had done was like the miracle with the manna. And unfortunately, God had explained to them what the point of the manna was. When God gave them manna as a sign, he explained the sign, and they still don't get it. 1,500 years later, they still aren't understanding it. Now, why do I say that? And uh, Jesus had points out to them uh, that regarding the manna, if you notice in John chapter 6, verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So Jesus says, you all are going to the story about the manna, but you're missing the point. God every day gave manna, every day they ate it, and how many of those people died in the wilderness? The whole generation, they all died. And so Jesus said, it didn't matter. They were eating it every day. Yes, it was miraculous food that God had provided, and I could sit here and provide miraculous food for you every day, and you will eat it, and you will die. Because the point was never the manna. The manna was given to teach Israel their need for spiritual food that would give them true life. That's why manna was there. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, you may recognize this verse. Moses says, He, the Lord, humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you, this is why God did manna, this is why it's here, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. 
He humbled you. He made you hungry. He taught you. And every day you took man and you took it into yourself and you ate it. And you knew God was providing that. But what God was telling you is you don't need bread, even if it's miraculous bread that God has done. It's always there for a sign. The hunger is supposed to point you to your deeper need, which is every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh. That's what he is calling them to do. You need to understand the spiritual food, the word of Yahweh. Manna is just a sign to point them to their true need, the word that comes from God to give eternal life. Now, they had not gotten this. But if you've been reading John's gospel and you hear that bread is a pointer to what you really need is the word, where, where should your mind go? In the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god he was with god in the beginning all things were made through him without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life you see what jesus is saying and what he's telling him, i mean you got a picture i am sure jesus was banging his head you've had 1500 years to get this you've read and heard this story over and over again and we even told you the point wasn't the manna the point was what the manna pointed you towards it was just a sign the reality is you live by the word i'm the word i am here i have come down from heaven i am the true spiritual bread of life manna was only ultimately a pointer to me and so jesus is telling us all physical hunger when you get hungry today god says that ought to be a reminder to you i live by god's word i live by god's will i live by god's life not by the bread i'm eating or the cup i'm drinking i live by what god gives to me and so jesus here is telling them you need to feast upon me now we need to be really clear what he means by that we feast upon this bread of life by believing in jesus now why i say that is the phrase believe in me or come to me occurs 14 times in this chapter over and over and over jesus keeps saying believe in me the consistent theme is actually not physical eating but rather spiritual believing in jesus and spiritually feeding upon him by coming to him in faith in verses 28 and 29 jesus had told them you know that that you need to the, the god the father has put his seal of approval on the son and they said so what do we have to do to do the works that god requires and notice what jesus says the work of god is this to believe in the one he has sent so right up front in his discourse of explaining this sign, the first thing he tells him is it is believing. Now notice, how much is this like we human beings? Not only do we miss the point of why we hunger, but then we turn around and we say, okay, well, what do I have to do? What, what work is God expecting out of me? And what's Jesus' answer? The gospel. Believe. That, that's, that's all. There, there is no work you can do god does the work you believe and you receive the whole focus is on believing in jesus the one that god has sent 
Jesus continues this theme down in verses 35 and 36 where we actually get the first I am statement. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. There's the first of those seven I am statements. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you still do not what? Believe. Do you get Okay, we can pick this up, right? When Jesus keeps saying the same thing over and over again, he's trying to make it so that we don't miss it. And he's saying, this is what you need. What you need is to come to me. What you need is to believe in me. That is where life comes from. So coming to Jesus and believing in Jesus are the same thing. Notice how they're parallel there. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, does not hunger, does not thirst. See how there's the parallelism in that passage. Well, later on, Jesus tells us the same thing, and he mixes in another metaphor, which is eating and drinking. Notice in verses 40 and 47 and 54, spread throughout, he's going to say the same thing three times. And they're going to be parallel, but notice how he does it. In verse 40, here's my Father's will. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. In verse 47, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me, so notice we've got believes and believes, has eternal life. And then in verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Notice it's the same statement as in verse 40. Whoever, what we're looking for is eternal life and being raised up on the last day, and what gets you there? Well, in verse 54, it's eating and drinking the flesh and blood of the Son of Man. But in verse 40, that's defined as believing in Jesus. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in after hours this week uh, as to why uh, Jesus is or is not teaching cannibalism in this passage. And so if you want to know whether Jesus wants you to be a cannibal, tune in on Tuesday uh, and you can, you can listen. Um, but notice how he does that. So believing is eating and drinking the Son of Man. That's what Jesus is telling us. It is a reference to believing. And so Jesus here has fed the multitude as a sign that he's the true bread of life so that, who came down from heaven so that everyone who feeds upon him through believing would have eternal life. That's the reality. But notice John tells us in this chapter there are two wildly divergent responses to this. Jesus very carefully, he keeps going back to this point over and over and over again, and he gets more and more emphatic about it until he gets down and the language is no longer just believing. He's saying, look, I'm telling you, it's me, and you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, or you have no life in you. You've got to understand you live by me. First group. Now, remember there were like 20,000 people there. The way John tells the story, this is about 20,000 minus 12. This is their response. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And they don't mean hard to understand. They mean, we don't like what you're saying. And then in verse 66, because Jesus, I don't have time to quote it all, but he doubles down. He says, oh, really, you have a problem with this? <laughs> what if I put my glory out and ascended back up to heaven where I came and did all of that? How, how would you handle that? 
he doubles down and their response in verse 66 is from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him it's a hard saying they like the sign they don't like the reality remember we've been seeing this john's building this theme throughout the gospel we like to see god do tricks with fish and bread but when he starts saying no you need to understand i am your life and you're missing the point and you're searching for life in all the wrong places they get offended they don't like it they they take offense at him uh, in the way he does things jesus had his place in their lives but see this was too radical i mean you're you're getting radical about this let's just keep this in its proper place jesus i'm trying to give you a place here and jesus is saying i'm not looking for a place i'm not looking for a part in the movie of your life i'm telling you i have a movie and i may give you a bit role and see they're not interested in that and so they turn back and they won't follow him and the sad truth is this was and is how most people respond to the truth about jesus again people today are fine with a little jesus don't get too radical about this don't go don't be going and getting all crazy about this and if you read today I mean, I read this stuff constantly in the press where they look at people and they, they bring people out and act like these people are out of their minds. And what kind of crazy stuff are they doing? I mean, I'm, I'm ready to hear that these people are out blowing things up or doing stuff. They, I went into his office and he had a Bible open. And this guy believes it. And I'm like, okay, then I guess I'm a kook in your eyes too. See, people don't mind a little, Jesus. Don't be going and getting too serious about this. But Jesus is saying there is no such thing as a little Jesus. I'm life. You have no life. I'm not saying life goes better with me. I'm saying you're deader than a doornail without me. You have no life. I'm not saying God will be a little happier with you if you're on my side. I'm saying you are under the wrath of God, and you deserve it, but I'm here to deliver you from that. And people say, oh, that, that, that's, that's too radical. And Jesus, who apparently flunked out of the church growth seminars, doesn't change his message. Because what he does when 20,000 minus 12 apparently wander away he turns and he looks at the 12 and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? I mean, this is a big moment. And remember, they failed the test yesterday. They didn't get it. But he's testing them again. And thanks be to God, Simon Peter answers him and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life we have come to believe and to know that you are the holy one of god now i believe part of what peter is saying is i'm as confused as they are <laughs> i don't get this eating and drinking and all this stuff jesus i'm a little confused you keep saying and doing stuff that's outside the box i keep building the box you keep getting out of it but 
Where else am I going to go? There is nobody else. It's not like I'll just pick a different wandering rabbi. You're the Holy One of God. You've got the words of life. I don't get it. But I know this. You are the one who is to come. You are the Messiah. And so I'm with you. Understand it or not. Kicking down my doors or not. Crawling out of the box I thought you were to stay in or not. You're the Messiah. You're the boss. You're in charge. Where else are we going to go? So... I was feeling pretty good, Jesus. We were about to write a book and go on tour how to build this thing. We got 20,000 people here. And then you preach one message and we're back down to 12. Okay, that, and then you got some statement about one of us is the devil, which I don't get either. Where else are we going to go? See, we don't follow because it's popular. There are times the gospel seems to be popular. There are times it seems, okay, there are times people might pat you on the back for it. We follow because where else would we go? There are no other words of life. There is no other way to come into eternal life than to believe, to embrace, to come to Jesus, to say, the food I need and the drink I need is Him. He is my life i have nothing apart from him that is what jesus calls us to do so thanks be to god for peter's brilliant confession here and maybe i'm saying john's setting it up and saying do you understand there's always these two people and this one to those who believed he came to his own and his own rejected him but to those who believed he gave them the right to become children of god See, that is the call of God. And I want to urge you today, don't fail the test. Look to Him. He is life. Now, how do we apply this? It's pretty simple. Do we see that what we truly need is Jesus? Every sign has the ultimate same reference point. And that reference point is Jesus is our deepest need. Even things like food are only temporary and are meant to point us to Him. I, I can't state this strongly enough. Jesus wants you to let every need you have keep pointing you back to Him and seeing beyond. The need, the response of your body in hunger and thirst was meant so that you would say, that's right, I, I remember, I need Jesus. I need something outside myself to live. I don't live by what's in me. I live by what's outside of me. That's where I find my life. Only Christ can meet this need. Every temporary fleeting thing we chase can never satisfy. Even if we spend everything we have. You could have the estate of Jeff Bezos. Spend it all. And it cannot satisfy the longing of your soul. Because the amazing thing, what you need is free. It doesn't cost anything. It's free. It is the gift of God. And so we're going to be coming down in a moment to do this. But I want to remind you, before we come to the table, that 
this week feed upon Christ we encourage people to fast during this season I'm fasting one day each week but what Jesus wants me to do is on that day when I'm fasting and my stomach rumbles not to look and say how much longer is it before I get to eat again but to say oh yes body you are you are hungering for bread but you know what you really need you really need the bread of heaven because i can eat a really good meal and i'm still going to die even if god miraculously provided it even if i went and sat down at the table linda and i and bang out of nowhere it just appeared on the table and god had done it jesus said you'll still die unless you eat the bread of life so I want to encourage you when you are hungry this week and if you are fasting this week make sure to feast upon christ the point's not the physical thing if i skip meals and don't feast upon christ all i did was a diet plan it's not really fasting but if i skip to feast upon Christ and every hunger pang points me back to Jesus then I'm doing what God calls I encourage you if, if you're doing other things and, and maybe you haven't but maybe take time this week Linda and I during Lent have not been watching TV at all just not having it on not because it's evil or terrible but it gives us more time i've been spending more time in the word i've been spending more time praying and reading other things and it's amazing how it has drawn me close to christ because those other things cannot fill you there are not enough movies on netflix and hulu and amazon prime to fill the need of your soul only christ can do that so this week, I encourage you, ask God to wean you off of things. Again, remember, the point's not them. There's nothing wrong with physical hunger. If you don't eat, you're going to die. But God always gave that as a pointer to something far deeper. Whether that is Jesus feeding the multitude, Moses being out there and manna coming down, or just a meal that you go out and make today. Every one of them are meant to say, I live by the bread of life. I live by Jesus Christ. So let's make this, make this a week. Say this week I'm going to set aside and I am going to consciously focus on the fact that my deepest need, my truest need is Jesus Christ. Now we're going to come to this table because even though John chapter 6 is ultimately not about the Lord's Supper, it had not even been instituted yet, the language is clearly meant to point us to this reality that this is a reminder every time we come to this table of what our truest deepest needs are and what i want to encourage you to do today as we're doing this is confess where is the area that i've been trying to fill the hole in my soul with something other than jesus and every one of us are tempted to do this I, I preach this sermon and then we'll go out this week and catch myself stuffing myself with something else. Okay? What, what, whatever it is for people. Some people are doing it by social media. Some people it's some kind of entertainment. Some people it's a relationship with another person. Some people it's money. Some of it's food. But under it all, what we're doing is there's a hunger that's crying out for God and I'm shoving all kinds of other stuff in there. 
Now, as I'm saying that, maybe the Holy Spirit's prompting something in your mind. And if he is, let's not change the subject. Now's the time that we say, Lord, that's what I've been doing. And I confess that because that'll never feed my soul. That'll never fulfill me. That'll never satisfy me. And then as we take this bread and this cup, let it be that sign. Let it be that pointer back and say, Jesus, what I need is I need to feast on you this week. Stir up that hunger within me and feed and fill me each and every day. So friends, as we come to the table, I remind us you do not have to be a member of our congregation. Uh, You just have to be a believer in the Lord Jesus knowing that he is the word of life. and You have no other hope apart from him. Your confession needs to be the same as Peter. If your confession is, where else would I go? You are the Holy One of God. You have the words of life. There is no life apart from you. Then we encourage you to come to the table and to eat. If you need gluten-free, you can raise your hand in a moment, and, uh, and we will take it to you. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. That The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Holy Spirit of the living God, we come before you now and ask you to come and meet us at this table. Lord, if you do not come, we will eat crumbs and drink juice. But if you come, Holy Spirit, and open our eyes, we will feast upon the very grace of God. We will be fed and nourished by the bread of God, the water and wine of God. Lord, we ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. As, we get, uh, as you get the elements, please hold on to them. We will take them together in a couple of moments. And I encourage you also to, to worship along and to consider how we can make Christ the very food by which we live. Gracious Father, you provide all things richly for us to enjoy. Food and drink, family and friends, and treasures in this world. These are all gifts of your grace, pointing us to you, the great giver of all we have. But like our father Adam, we have given in to wayward desires. We have longed for forbidden things or inordinately desired the gifts of your hand as if our joy could be found in them apart from you. We confess that we often stop with the signs of your goodness and do not penetrate to the reality behind them all, which is you, our gracious God. And so today we take this bread not as an end in itself, but as you have given it, 
a sacramental sign pointing to Jesus, the bread of heaven. So we feast in faith, not upon mere bread, but upon our deepest need, the true bread of heaven, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Take and eat. Lord Jesus, you declared that you had longed and desired to eat your final Passover meal with your disciples. On that night, you transformed the shadow of Passover into the reality of the Eucharist that we now enjoy. For in you, all the shadows of the old covenant have become reality. Today, we give you thanks for your blood, the blood of the true Passover lamb, which has cleansed us from all of our sin. In taking this cup, we proclaim that you alone are true life and that all other gifts we have merely point us to you. And so we take this cup in faith, claiming your promise that whoever comes to you will never suffer hunger or thirst, but will feast with you forever in your kingdom. Friends, take the cup of life. Holy Spirit, today we have feasted upon the Word and at the table of our Lord. As we go forth from this place, strengthen us by grace. Come to us and remind us each day that the deepest longings of our soul can only be satisfied in Jesus. Turn us each day this week from the temporal to the eternal, from the sign to the reality, from the gift to the giver. And we ask that you would open doors for us this week to reach people who we love that are trying desperately to fill a need for you with mere created things. Give us the chance to testify of Jesus, the true and living bread of heaven, the true satisfier of the human soul. Come upon us and send us forth to do this we ask in the name of Jesus. And God's people say, Amen. So be it. Friends, let's stand together and receive God's blessing. I'm going to, to uh, paraphrase Philippians 4.19. Receive now the blessing of God. May God meet all of your needs and may He satisfy your deepest longings through the glory of Jesus Christ. Go forth full of His presence. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.